Alrighty guys, so we're back with episode four of the Plant Podcast. We're doing it in a little bit of a different uh, scene today. We're actually up on in the Star Casino and we're doing it here without nice, um, we have our, our plant background. We actually had some birds here before that we really wanted to get involved, but they've just left us. So we're gonna make them a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a treat next time. So yeah, they we'll hang around. set a trap. Yeah, we'll set a trap. <laughs> yeah, to keep hanging around. So today guys, it's gonna be me and Maddie just talking about basically just having a conversation really just around some cool things that I know uh, you guys have, have thought about especially if you're in the health conscious space and you're looking at things that can really improve uh, the way that you function day to day the way that you get nutrients in we're looking at some really cool phytonutrients and some interesting facts about those phytonutrients that um, we didn't really know but Matt has some good insight on that as well um, and some things that I've used in my smoothies for years Thinking that I was getting particular types of uh, particular types of vitamins and minerals, but really I was getting the things that weren't actually giving me what I wanted. So we're going to try and shed some light on that, and then maybe just look at a couple of key, I guess, superfoods um, that have been you know thrown around throughout the industry for years and years. Mm. Things like cacao and spirulina, chlorella, astaxanthin. Um, just looking at some things in those foods that we can utilize to the best of our ability and maybe some things that you thought were in there um, that maybe aren't giving you quite what you thought you were getting. So maybe just to kick things off, let's maybe just take a, a quick squiz at spirulina. Um, yeah. So it's a it's an algae or yep. yeah, it's an algae. It comes it's from a blue the ocean. green algae. Blue green algae. And I, rem I only remember that because when I was young, I uh, grew up in Mackay, we used to have that where we used to go wakeboarding and Everyone goes skiing in the Yungla Dam. Every once in a while, they used to shut it down because of the blue-green algae. Yeah, right. And you can't go swimming in there in case you get this blue-green algae in you and you yeah. get really sick. But yeah. that's what spirulina is. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. that actually is funny. It's <laughs> funny you bring that up because yeah. I've got a friend of mine, Zeke Grove. Yeah. He, we went swimming in, um, we went swimming in a lake in Madison, mm. and there was an algae bloom there, and he got really crook from that. So yeah. we were all swimming in this lake. And we were telling the locals, because the whole, the whole local community of Madison, they get around the CrossFit Games. Um, so when we're there, we're competing. And they're just like, oh, we have a swimming event this year. It's like, oh, where are you swimming? It's like, oh, we're swimming in that Wandana Lake or that lake over there. It's like, you're not swimming in there, are you? And, they're, and we're just like, yeah, that's where we're swimming. They're just like, no one swims in there. And it's like, why? There's like algae bloom. It's like so bad for you. Yeah. And so we were all pretty okay, but a couple of people got really crook out of that. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, like- Yeah, so you can get like really sick from it. And then what's interesting about a lot of the algae is when you get these algal blooms when the water quality is terrible. Yeah. Like, so the more toxic it is and then everything's starting to die and that sort of stuff, the algae just takes over. Um, and then in the supplement world, we always talk about these algae also being very good for detox. Yep. Because they have this ability to accumulate and absorb toxins. You know, so it's really interesting that if we get a, you get your algae from the wrong place, yeah. then it's going to be pretty toxic. You yeah. Know? So. so is it, so I guess in the same respect to like fish, having an algae in good quality water is kind of crucial. We don't want it filled with I guess you could probably get build-ups of like mercury, probably. You could probably yeah. get build-ups of other... Yeah, runoff and that. Runoff. Like, you get a lot of problems with runoff. Like, so a lot of the um, pesticides, fertilizers, all the petrochemicals and that sort of stuff. So, like, if you get it out of the lakes near a farming community, or so, so Mackay, where I grew up, you know, there was yep. a lot of yep. cane farm and that sort of stuff. So it goes through and kind of wrecks the ecosystem a little bit. The algae yeah. thrives and grows it, then absorbs all the toxins, then it dies off 
fertilizes the ground and restores the waterway so it's really important mm. um and so you'll find and, and the rest of the time they do like cities or whatever but you'll see that's why when products like spirulina over the years they'll talk about the hawaiian spirulina yeah. or the the pristine waters or growing so what's really important when you're looking at those algaes and trying to find a good supplier of is find out where it's actually grown, where they're sourcing their stuff from and make sure the place is clean. Yeah. Also check and ask them, like, what is the heavy metal content of it? Like, yeah. what is the, what is your pesticide residue? Yeah. What, what, how much toxins has it already absorbed? Yeah. Because you kind of want to know that before you go and supplement mega doses of it to detox. Yeah. Because you could be putting the stuff in you yeah know? well i yeah. did i did look at this a little while ago and i saw that they had a lot of um uh farms yeah so they were separated from you know contamination of you know the pesticide runoff and you know having it in areas where there's tons of traffic of boat traffic and you're getting all of the yeah. you know the petrol and the diesel and all the the oil and stuff going through it so they're building these algae ponds and they're kind of producing it you know i guess not artificially but having their own ponds that are segregated so they can make the most pristine provide the right water provide the right sunlight but you need like perfect conditions but i've heard that's like perfect conditions are required to make it right and to make it yeah. good and quality um to make it clean to make it thrive and grow and be clean because then it's like if you look at it as like a toxic sponge yeah you kind of want it to be a clean sponge yeah. before you consume it so that way it can absorb your toxins yeah. otherwise it's already full you yeah. know yeah. so yeah, that's very important. You'll find astaxanthin, which is like those little krilly kind of planktony sort of things. They're very same. So that, they'll absorb a lot of those toxins as well. Yeah. Um, so it's very important to get those things as clean as possible. Mm. Then we've got like cracked chlorella or chlorella. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're pretty much the same again. It's yeah. just an algae source. All of these things are really good sources of nutrients. Um, lots of magnesium, lots of protein. Um, other nutrients as well we're still learning a lot about nutrients because that's where we got confused with the b12 yeah because i always used to talk about spirulina being a great source of b12 yep um cobalamin is the 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 chemical word for b12 yep. so you get cyanocobalamin methocobalamin hydroxocobalamin all these different cobalamins um and they're tiny tiny doses in yep. our body yep. like i'm talking you know, like the day, the recommend daily intake, we're looking at a microgram, a couple of micrograms is all we need. Like yeah. Tiniest doses. Um, so, but it's also a very tiny molecule. And for years that no one could actually like understand exactly what it was. So now they've realized that all these different forms of cobalamin exist. And the one that was in spirulina was not the one our body can use. Right. And the problem was with it is that the body thinks it is, it resembles it, looks like it but it kind of can't be converted, so therefore you can absorb it, and you can, but you can't metabolize it, which means you can't use it. So ultimately it competes with B12 um, because it actually takes the space, space of yeah. B12 without doing the B12 functions. So far, you know, from what we know so far. Because yeah. we could come back later and find out that, yeah. oh no, there's another form of B12 our body does use, and that was one in spirulina. But yeah. I don't know, at this point in time, they, they thought it was a good source, and now they think it's a terrible source. Yeah, right. Because it can contribute to B12 deficiency. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it's the same, it's almost the same as they'll fortify foods with folic acid. Yep. So one in four, maybe one in 10, they argue a lot in the science community. Yeah. Um, some uh, one in four to one in ten people have a problem converting folic acid which is a synthetic form of folate or a degraded um, oxidized a bad form of folate that our, that's not familiar that our body can't use that's what they fortify our foods with 
um, that right. it doesn't exist in our food, but it's the most stable form. So this is a, it, it kind of gets a bit weird because there's all these different forms of folate that are actually in our food, mm. but they're, they're bound to like tannins and they're bound to proteins and they're bound to that so they don't wash away when it rains and stuff like yeah. that, so it stays in the plant. Um, but all those different forms of folate that are in our food, the body can metabolize them. Mm. When you boil that food, then when you boil the folate, it, you know, making that folate water soluble and extracting it out, you're converting it into folic acid. So, but in the early days, they didn't have the ability to measure the folate in the food. The only way they could do is they talked about the folic acid yield. They didn't realize that the folate in the food was different. And so anyway, they had all these mountains of data talking about folic acid and how amazing folic acid is for the body and how stable folic acid is and blah, blah, blah. And then all this fortification, and then they realized there's one in four to one in 10 people can't actually convert that folic acid. Now, the problem with that is if you're um, fortifying foods with this synthetic form of folic acid, then it gets absorbed, but your body can't convert it. And so then when you actually eat the good foods that have the real good form of folate in it, they can't get past mm. the folic acid that's stuck. Yeah. You know, so it actually overwhelms or it just gums up the system. Yeah. So if you have a look at B12 and folate alone, they need to be converted into a very special forms of B12 and they need to be it's converted into special forms of folate. I'm not just saying special because it's like methylene tetrahydra, stupid words. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. So basically the form of folate and the form of B12 that we're getting in a lot of these foods and the fortified foods could actually block the conversion pathways. Now it's folate and B12 that joins up with iron to make blood. Yeah, right. And okay. so for example, if people coming through going, I'm on this plant-based diet and I, I seem to be anemic all the time and I've been taking my big iron supplements yep. You know, enough to constipate me a big black poops or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, but I still can't build blood. And then they're like, oh, and by the way, they've also measured my blood and they said my B12 and folate is good. But they're measuring folic acid and cobalamin. So the testing, they can't tell if your B12 and folate in your blood is good. Right. But you could have totally gummed up the system with dodgy folic acid and dodgy B12. Then your iron's got nothing to join with. Right. And this is the other crazy thing. If you give someone a mega, you know, I said with B12, you only need tiny doses. Yeah. You give someone a big dose, you can actually mask a folate deficiency. Right. And then the vice versa. So, right. These things, and that, those three compounds, if you consider B12 and folate, they build the myelin sheath that does the nerve coatings on your body, they build your blood, they do your neurotransmitters for your brain, the yep. brain chemistry. They're like involved in so many of these functions your detoxification pathways, or your methylation, how you make bile, yep. all of this sort of stuff. Energy production? <laughs> <laughs> Energy production? Energy production? Nerve function. <laughs> I have one job. <laughs> I don't give a fuck what your jobs are. <laughs> I think we'll leave that in there, that's No, great. it's gotta be good. Yeah, we gotta go. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting, and I think from for me when I was you know uh, going more plant-based I was looking for foods that would have it in there so we can get B12 or the, the I guess the right forms of B12 from nature but they usually come out of you know the dirt in the water yeah and all these things have been so either purified or, or washed and all these things so we're not really getting it in that form unless you know we're either using uh, 
a cyanocobalamin supplement, yep. which is, I don't know, typically, I think in the plant-based community, that's the most typical one we would go for. It's the most for. common. The most common one to yeah. go for. Um, so how, how could we, how could we uh, make sure that when we're having that cyanocobalamin in our, like as a supplement or a sublingual supplement, hmm. how could, what, what types of measures could we put in place to make sure they're actually getting it into the body to go down the right pathway? Like what types of things would we be trying to avoid, I guess, hmm. or maybe the other ones that we'd be trying to avoid? We want to make sure that we're building blood. We want to yeah. make sure that we're getting it right to the energy systems. I want to be like a high-performing athlete in triathlon yeah. or if I want to be a gymnast or I want to be this I just want to make sure that I'm getting it in in the right way and making You're sure it does the job. When we talk about it all the time and this is probably a spoiler to most of our podcasts will be we need variety and right. nature provides a big variety yeah. and the whole diverse forms of all these nutrients is actually what we need Yep. and definitely not going to basically be able to say that we know out of nature what they did right and what they did wrong because I've never seen anything in the human body or nature that's not done for a reason uh. so be a bit arrogant to think that we know but because we might discuss what i was saying even with spirulina at this point in time we think it's the wrong type but we might discover later that it it's not helps with something yeah. um but with b12 you've got this it's kind of split so it goes down these pathways where you can go down the adenosyl cobalamin pathway or you can go down methyl cobalamin pathway and they're the two main functional forms um the methyl cobalamin pathway can't come backwards right. so this is an important point because a lot of people think the methyl one's the best oh, so yeah. they go and use that's the methyl that's what I had heard yeah, yeah and then I heard you can recycle it a bit yeah sometimes. but you can't so yeah. once, if you do the methyl if you're deficient in the hydroxy and that and the adenosocobalamin you can't take the methyl back so a lot of people think the methyl cobalamin's the best but it's 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 not it's 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 the best for methyl cobalamin. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so what the ideal combination is, if you're going to do the methyl, then you want to have it mixed with hydroxy or adenosocobalamin. Um, otherwise, you go the hydroxy, and it can go down the two different pathways. Sure. Cyanocobalamin is just another form that then gets converted into the hydroxy. Sure. And go cyanocobalamin's the the cheapy, cheap, nasty one we've been using for the, the right. most. Right. So, right. It's like cyanide cobalt. Oh. molecule right yeah, yeah right yeah. which is it i mean so, like i said such min miniature doses yeah um, the funny thing is is i tell you what's crazy is um for the vegan community and that sort of stuff if you don't get enough b12 then all of a sudden you're not a vegan yeah you're a cannibal yeah because yeah. what actually happens is you actually start shedding your gut lining and you actually digest your villi so right. the little villi on your gut lining, yeah. your body will digest that to liberate the B12 out of it. Wow. For your microbes wow. will do it because do without it, it they, they can't live. Mutiny. Yeah, 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 microbial mutiny. They're sitting there going, this guy's not feeding us enough. We're going to eat his gut lining yep. to get the B12 and then it'll liberate more B12 for you out of your gut lining. Yep. Yeah, so it's yeah. crazy, hey, because you, if without B12, if you don't have blood, you don't have nerve function, mm. don't need a gut. And if, is there any particular signs that like uh, symptoms that we could get from not getting enough B12, yep. something that we would find. Usually fatigue, uh, fatigue, nerve function, neuralgia, so yep. like nerve pain, sciaticas, that sort of stuff, um, nervousness, and inability to switch off. Um, it controls a lot of these catechol methyltransferase enzymes in our brain that they detoxify the brain chemistry after they've been used. Right. So it means after you've released your chemicals that make you worry, mm -hmm. it's supposed to help clear it away. Yep. Otherwise you can't let go yeah. so you get very stressed and that would be 12 at the same time you could be you know, anemic and fatigued 
So because it gets that type of anemia where you've got neuralgia, nerve pain, and lack of blood, it's very stressful because your stress signals in your body are picking up going, is this person bleeding to death? Have they been bitten yeah. and now bleeding to death? You know, they've got pain, they're lacking blood. Yeah. Like the stress survival nervous system goes, hey, this could be a big deal. Yeah. You know, so you get this really weird fatigue, but you run on nervous energy. Yeah. You get this worry and this nervous anxiety. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, so B12 is an interesting one like that, but you'll often find crappy bloods. Um, but because B12 folate also involved in detoxification of the brain chemistry, they also involved in the detoxification of estrogens mm. and testosterones as well. Yep. So you get a lot of hormonal and neurotransmitter disorders, a lot of insomnia. So you get so tired you can't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can't sit still. Like right. You get that restless legs, you get that restlessness. Wow. Every time you try to move, like, just you feel the, the fan hit your legs and it's annoying. It's like, I have to move again. Right. You know, so it's mm. like funny feelings like that restless legs is a classic feature hair loss so many yeah, yeah. Crazy. but very vague and yeah. general yeah. because that's what happens when you've got no nerves no blood yeah. and shit detox yeah so stuff's going to go pear-shaped yeah. everywhere and it's so crucial for survival that yeah. the body will start breaking down your own resources to replenish it mm. if you don't eat it mm. and in saying all that we still only need a couple of micrograms a day yeah yep. for perspective a teaspoon of powder or something, it was like a teaspoon of sugar, is like 5,000 milligrams. Yeah, right. So like a quarter of that teaspoon is still like a thousand milligrams. Yeah. So we're looking at one, one, one four thousandth mm -hmm. of a teaspoon, or one five thousandth yeah. of a teaspoon yeah. is the dose. So it's a, it's a speck. Yeah, it's a speck. Yeah, and that, that's why you don't need mega doses. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I guess tacking on from that, something else that typically comes up in a plant-based diet that you know, especially if you're wanting to be an athlete, something yeah. that really helps is supplementing with creatine. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, so I think having creatine, if you're if you're 100% plant based and you want to, you know, build some extra muscle, you want to even just function. Think they've even shown some, you know, some studies on how, how it can help your brain function properly. But yeah, yeah creatine monohydrate. Creatine's brilliant. So I, I'm a big fan of creatine, and one of the most well studied um, nutrients of all, mm. possibly. Probably the most yeah, well the most, studied, yeah. I think. That, that and coffee, yeah. I think, and then maybe sugar. Yeah. You know, that's probably where we're at. So creatine is amazing. But like we're saying, it was discovered because of the guys that invented it, that discovered it were like mad keen steak fiends. Yeah. They used to live on steak. Yep. And they wanted to work out what it was in steak that made them play such good NFL and everything yep. like that. So all your, your Rick Criders and your Eric Rolson and all those guys over in the States, the old bro bodybuilders and, and um, NFL players they just created so much data on this creatine yeah. but it is phenomenal yeah. and seriously it's massive amounts in meat and none in the plants yeah and so the thing is is it's made from these amino acids that you get out of your plants yep but it's it's a bit awkward because you know like you're burning fuel yeah and so like to use these amino acids to build this storage sort of fuel mm. while we're kind of running it's, it's one of the benefits of the creatine supplementation yeah. that you can just go straight in. And what creatine will do is increases the amount of ATP you generate per cell. It's your energy currency per cell. Yeah. Plus it's water soluble. Yeah. When you load up on creatine inside your cells, it creates hydration. Like for example, when you go through a loading phase of creatine, where typically they'll do like five grams, two or three times a day, like take about 20 grams a day for a while. Yep. Normally only need about two and a half grams a day yep. is enough um, to keep it up. 
but when they do these loading phases, you'll find that most people put on about five kilos of water weight yeah. like within a week or two. I think that's me right now yeah. because I didn't have any for probably, I'd say three or four weeks. Yeah. And then this week I've done, I've, I've done maybe six and a half Ks of swimming. I've done over 40 Ks of running. I've done a little bit of cycling. Um, I've done a few CrossFit sessions. So it was the highest volume week that I've done. But at the start of the week, I was 83 and a half kilos wanting to get under 80 yeah. for a, a competition coming up. And I just got on the scales yesterday and I was 86 kilos. Yeah. But it's the first week I've had some creatine back in my diet. Yeah, it does it, hey. Oh, I'll tell you something interesting in creatine. It can't, it can't cross your blood-brain barrier, okay? So when you eat it, it's gotta be broken down into those precursors to be absorbed into your brain to reform as creatine. Creatine holds fluid in your brain. Very important to prevent concussion, prevent against dementia, and keeps your brain, it's one of the best brain fuels of all. But what's interesting about it is, when it's broken down to those raw materials, the way it's put back together is through a process known as methylation, yep. which is dependent on folate and B12. Mm. So if you've not eaten the meat, if you're deficient in the folate and B12, then you can't, you can build creatine or absorb creatine into your muscle, you can't get it into your brain. Right. It's gotta be methylated to build creatine into your brain. Interesting. <clears throat> you get into like a vicious cycle where you get foggy head yeah so yeah I guess another one probably one of our last ones before we keep this one short and sharp for you guys one another particular thing and you guys are gonna love this because it's one of the oh it's it's not one of it's not the most traded I think uh, commodity we have but it's right up there it's very close but I want to talk a little bit about cacao oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so cacao um, the antioxidant value that it has yeah. maybe some things that actually help with hormones and testosterone and things like that yeah um, I know that it's just been used across the board like that in ginger for helping hormone balance but basically antioxidant value it's chocolate nootropic tastes good bromine. Yeah. So it's got these weird forms of caffeines that makes like a slow release from a theobromine to a theophylline and it's like a very nice easy up and easy down form of nootropic effect yep. which is really good it's a very good vasodilator yep. which is why some people get headaches you know people get the chocolate headaches yeah that's, that's how good it is as a vasodilator with the vasoactive amines in it and make the blood vessels pump into your head um excellent antioxidant dodgiest hell cartel did i told you it's <laughs> no. like, apparently it's worse than the cocaine cartel wow oh, okay. yeah yeah, because it's like this commodity, yeah. this chocolate commodity. So and where the best is, and get the best. And yeah, 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 and like who secures what supplies, and who misses out, and stuff like that. They're against full on. Yeah. But yeah, so there's so much information into it as well. But excellent antioxidant, very good uh, vasodilator, very good nootropic, um, really good pre-workout. I was going to say pre-workout. It sounds yeah. perfect for pre-workout. Yeah, yeah, so it is. Maybe putting so putting like. A, a, a creatine of sorts pre-training if it's good for you know uh, if that's yeah. cell currency yeah so creatine and cacao together yeah. would be like kind of pretty cool mixture it's a someone... weird one with creatine it, because uh, there's some really good studies that show pre-workout very good for hydration um stops dehydration very good performance i mean it's creatine monohydrate it's 100 percent absorption and it all gets utilized somewhere yeah. you know one way or the other there's a weird school of thought that it's still best used post-workout. Yeah. Um, because after you've depleted your stores, then you can replenish it. Sure. I think it makes no difference. Yeah. I think most time we're loading, we just top it up. Yeah, you just have it any time throughout the day. doesn't yeah. matter, but just have a little bit every day. Yeah. I'll tell you another interesting thing that we should look for more in the future, because it's something people don't talk a great deal about. And this might be a link between the algae that could be good for us as well. But 
and maybe the microbiome stuff. But the other thing that's in meat that's not in plants is that meat cell wall. Yep. So what actually makes up the meat structures and the cells are these particular types of phosphatidic acids, these phosphatidylcholine, these phosphatidic compounds. There's not much of that in the plant kingdom mm. um, because of the way the cell walls are. So other than creatine, things like B12 and you know iron, different forms of iron and that sort of stuff. One big difference that's in meat that's not in plants that no one talks about is phosphatidic acid. Right. And if you're looking at what's really well researched as well in the sports community, as an anabolic and ergogenic aid, phosphatidic acid is one of the most well-researched things around. Right. It's not in any... No one uses it. So It's could, not a thing. It's could, weird. Could we do some, something similar to creatine and take maybe the uh, the salts or the amino acids from plant material to create phosphatidic acid? Can we do that? Is that a possibility? Yeah, well, there's, should, there's some. like So there's cert, certain like things like lecithins and algaes, and there are like a lot of phosphatidyl compounds yep. in our diet um, that you can get from plant yeah. but they're not commonly consumed you know now things like lecithin and that might be a really good source but then most of the lecithin used in baking and processing comes from soy and people were like mm. say it's evil sure processing aid it's yeah. actually really good stuff yeah <laughs> i like yeah. it i really like it. it's got lecithin's amazing is it good for brain brain function brain fun- so less lesser than actually works like bile yep. like if you have it it emulsifies the fats if anyone's got no gallbladder or if you can't absorb any fatty foods or you get nauseous after taking oily supplements the lecithin just cuts straight through that yep. it's a very good source of phosphatidylcholine phosphatidylserine phosphatidylinositol that builds all your myelin sheaths for your brain it stimulates acetylcholine release dopamine release and I buy bags of the bloody <laughs> stuff for like two dollars yeah, at right. Woolies, and we throw it in. I mean, my boys have smoothies, and yep. I put it in the smoothies to help yep. emulsify the oils into the protein. Yeah. Um, but also knowing that they're going to get these other benefits. That's cool. Um, you can get sunflower lecithin. Might be better than soy lecithin. Sure. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a lot of it's just lecithin. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's another, I think that's a good one. That I reckon you could. I mean, if I was. You could throw that into your proteins, no problem at all, as yeah. a good source of this thing. I think it's excellent. It's great. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, we've just uh, covered a few things there. So hopefully you guys got a little bit of information out of that. Um, we hope you like the backdrop today. And um, honestly, I, we'll be back uh, next week with probably in our, in our regular place. Um, but yeah, hopefully you guys got some cool information. And um, yeah, I guess we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Yep. Thanks, Matt. <laughs>